ask a question and then remain silent for at least eight seconds. And she said that research shows is so often, Evan, when we ask a question, if they don't answer in two to three seconds, we either restate the question, ask another question, answer the question ourselves, or just move on. And her advice in sales, and I say it also applies to leadership, is don't step on the silence with talking. Hi, my name is Evan Herman, and I'm documenting my journey on becoming the best version of myself while learning how to be an entrepreneur and developing the successful habits that are necessary to get and keep me there. If you want to come alongside of me and make this journey together, we'll be listening and learning from some of the world's greatest mentors in the areas that matter most, faith, family, finances, friendship, fitness, and fun. So join me on the Whole Person Podcast. If you haven't had an opportunity yet, you can definitely check us out on the wholepersonpodcast.com. You can find resources to grow yourself in every area of life. As we're growing, we're going to be putting our free resources up there. That's the wholepersonpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook at the whole person podcast. And then in other areas, you can just follow me, Evan Herman, on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram for more information. Enjoy the show. Today, we are going to be talking about what it means to ask great questions and why that is important. We have with us today an amazing question-asking expert, Bob Teedy. He is an author of three books, and he's a speaker and trainer and has been working with the same company for, called a CRU for 47 years. Bob, welcome to the show. Evan, it is a delight to be with you. Bob, 47 years in one place, that's a long time. It is. Uh, Obviously, your friend Bob has uh, no ability to actually get a new job. That's funny. (laughs) So just for our audience sake, what is CRU? Well, CRU, it's crew. And it is the new name as of about six years ago for Campus Crusade for Christ. Okay, And uh, when I joined staff, I joined the staff of Campus Crusade for Christ. But as I said, about six years ago, we did a name change, and uh, it is now called Crew. Awesome. I did not know that. Uh, But I was familiar with Campus Crusade, so. Well, that is awesome, Bob. I I, I read that a little bit in your your bio and was just kind of curious to hear more about that. So if you're in one position, I shouldn't say one position, but in one company for 47 years, you know, you're doing something right when they, they want you to stick around that long. Well, it's, it's been a fun, fun ride. Uh, crew has a staff of about 25,000 in 190 countries. And our journey, we, uh, joined the staff in 1971. We spent our first eight years in crew campus ministries in Colorado, the state of Washington, and then Oregon. In 1979, the national director of crew at that time played matchmaker and brought Josh McDowell and myself together. And the Josh McDowell ministry is a division of crew. And I had the privilege of directing the Josh McDowell ministry for 24 years from 1979 to 2003. 
And we stepped away from that role in 2003. We took a sabbatical. Crew brought us seven opportunities. The one that resonated with us was leadership development. And so since 2004, I've been on the global and U.S. leadership development teams. The mission is developing the next generation of leaders for crew. And Evan, uh, kind of the elevator speech is actually true of every company, every organization. And the elevator speech is that in 15 to 20 years, almost none of our current leaders will still be leading. In their places will be the leaders we're now developing. And if we fail, or if your company fails to develop that next generation of leaders, uh, our company is not going to fail tomorrow, next week, next month, or even next year, but it may fail 15 to 20 years from now. And so uh, this is a responsibility that we take very seriously, and that is preparing and developing that next generation of leaders. Wow. That's awesome. I really like that. It's so true. So what prompted you to be so passionate about leading people through questions? Because, you know, it's apparent that leadership is where you want to be. And then when I came across some of your, your teachings, um, I, had, I had to have you on the show because, you know, being a good question asker, I'm learning is more and more relevant. And I've noticed that's, that's your leadership style. So how did you come across that as a leadership style? And why are you so passionate about it? Evan, um, I, I actually have to start with a confession. You know, many people who meet me now, uh, like you and I have become friends recently, uh, think that perhaps I've always led with questions. Right. Well, I have to start with a confession, and that is for most of my crew career, I was what I would call a benevolent dictator. <laughs> um, my only paradigm of leadership is that a leader, of course, needed to be kind and use please and thank you and, and acknowledge and appreciate uh, jobs well done. But my only paradigm of leadership is that the leader needed to tell, tell kindly, use the word please, but tell, be directive on what the staff needed to do. And so that's how I led. I didn't know any better. I didn't know any differently. And then in 2006, well, uh, per, my wife loves to go to bookstores, Evan. She goes all over the bookstore. She knows when she's ready to go, she will still always find me where I started in the leadership section. And uh, my usual practice is to find three, four books I've never seen before, pull them off, peruse them. Sometimes they all go back on the shelf. Occasionally one goes home. Well, that day I discovered the book by Dr. Michael Marquardt called Leading with Questions. Having perused only a few pages, it was like, okay, this one's coming home. And Evan, it was a page turner for me. Literally. Also a, a new paradigm of leadership. Dr. Marquardt shared how leaders who led with questions would often be 10 times more effective than leaders who lead by telling. And I instantly got it. And it instantly changed my leadership. I began to teach out of the book. And um, it didn't take long. I became known as the question guy. But, but I frequently share, and, and Evan, you and your listeners may even pick this up on the show, 
I sometimes say that I'm a charter member of Tellers Anonymous. We go to our meetings, I stand up, say, my name's Bob, I'm a teller. And, and the truth is, I'm still addicted to telling. And, uh, you know, writing books and my blog, Leading With Questions, are, are part of my recovery effort. But I do know this. I do know that a leader who leads with questions is far more effective. And in fact, Evan, let me illustrate that with kind of a silly question for you. Please. If, if you were in a rowboat with your whole team and there were oars for everyone, and you wanted to get across the lake as quick as possible, how many of them would you want to have row with you? All of them. Yeah, all of them, of course. Like I say, it's kind of a silly question. And I use that when I speak, and of course, everybody says all of them. But then I say, well, let me ask you another question. You're sitting at your conference room table with your whole team. And you're trying to figure out what is the fastest way for us to get across the lake, meaning to reach this next goal, to, uh, to take advantage of this opportunity, to overcome this challenge. Why in that situation would you as a leader want to be the only one with the oar in the water? Why would you not want to access the brain power of everybody at the table? by asking a question like, hey, what do you think we might do? And, and of course, right there, you see how a leader who leads with questions is going to be more effective because instead of just the brain power of their brain, they're now accessing the brain power of everybody at the table. Right. And uh, at any rate, that's why I'm passionate about leading with questions. Okay. So I'm in a sales position within real estate. And I can't tell you how many appointments I went on. And sometimes it was my own fault. And sometimes I let the the seller have control of the conversation, meaning whatever they asked for, I would just answer questions instead of being the one to ask the questions. You know, they'd be like, okay, well, how are you different than this person? What can you do this? So I became a teller. And what I've realized more and more recently, the more I talk about who I am and what I do and how I'm different, those are the times I typically won't get a listing. And so my question to you is, what is the importance of asking great questions when it comes to sales? Well, Evan, let me start with saying, um, I am not an expert in sales. Right. And you so, are in questions. Yes. You, you may, uh, may actually be the one that could answer that much better than me. I'm going to share a couple of things, but I'm, I'm just, you know, disclaimer. Um, I have uh, done a lot of writing about questions for leadership and question for sales uh, falls into another category. And I know there's others with expertise. And in fact, there's a few others that I've learned from. Um, my friend Andrew Sobel, who is a Fortune 100 consultant who specializes in long-term client relationships, uh, he has this saying, telling creates resistance, asking creates relationships. And, and one of the keys, I think, for sales is to create relationship 
with the the customer, the client, the prospect, and uh, and we can do that often by asking them rather simple questions. And you know, number one that I like to ask is, "Tell me about yourself." Now you could say, "Well, that has nothing to do with." Uh, the product or service you're trying to sell. But by asking them to tell me about yourself, uh, it lets them go wherever they want. And it's like in a few minutes, you actually feel like, wow, I'm beginning to know this person. But they feel like you really care about them because you took time to, to ask them about, uh, about themselves. Um, Evan, I'm sure by the time this airs, the, the current post on my blog will be another one. But uh, today, uh, there's a post on my blog by Sean McFeet, and uh, it's really fascinating. He, uh, he talks about uh, going to Starbucks and uh, with an associate, and one day they just, they're sitting there, and suddenly they just kind of focus and begin to talk about the three sizes that Starbucks offers and tall, grande, and venti, you know, kind of a small, medium, and large. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and they just thought, wow, that's really interesting. And, and they thought about the fact that in this case, there were three, they were making three uh, choices or offering three choices to the prospect. And as they begin to think about that, they began to think about how could we apply this simple Starbucks principle of three options to what they were selling. And uh, in the blog post today, and of course, uh, if you, anybody goes to my blog, leadingwithquestions.com, if you just type into the search Starbucks, this will come up. He said, when you offer somebody a choice of just one, their answer is either yes or no. When you offer two solutions, it's easier for them to make a choice. But he said when you offer three options, it means that they're going to switch from yes or no to which of the three would be best for me process. And uh, I just thought, you know, hey, that's part of sales. It's uh, if you can offer three choices, not an overwhelming number, and they're kind of, uh, there's a difference between them. There's a price difference, but there's a difference, you know, it's kind of like the silver, the gold, and the platinum package. And he said what they so often do when they think of what's best for them is they choose the middle one. And I found that fascinating. And then I got one more sales thing that uh, this actually works for sales, but it works for leadership. <coughs> Uh, there was a blog on, on my, uh, a post rather on my blog, the title was How to Increase Sales in Eight Seconds. How to Increase Sales in Eight Seconds. Evan, you have any idea what that might have been about? Hmm. Let me think. How to Increase Sales in Eight Seconds. Ask the right question. And then what? And then follow up with another question. <laughs> ah, you kind of you kind of stepped right into what not to do. Oh no! Uh, the the author of this post said, 
ask a question and then remain silent for at least eight seconds. And she said that research shows is so often, Evan, when we ask a question, if they don't answer in two to three seconds, we either restate the question, ask another question, answer the question ourselves, or just move on. And her advice in sales, and I say it also applies to leadership, is don't step on the silence with talking. Ask your question and then, you know, keep comfortable eye contact and relax and count to yourself, 1,001, 1,002, and wait. And often the longer you wait, the better the answer. That's now, funny. I, I can't remember who said this, but I was watching an interview, uh, I think on YouTube, about how to be a better question asker. And they were saying precisely that. Don't fill in blank spaces. He says, play chicken with your guests. When they when they finish saying something or when you finish asking a question and they finish, don't respond. Say nothing and play chicken because that's where the good stuff will come out. Yeah, they will, they will say more. But, uh, you know, I found, here was the insight. She said, most of us only wait two or three seconds. But the amazing thing is we have no awareness that that's what we do. And so now that you know the eight second rule, and let me add, you know, people think of eight seconds, they sometimes think of bull riding, where the rider has to stay on for eight seconds. Well, if you, you know, you don't even have to be a fan, but if you've ever watched bull riding, you know that eight seconds for a bull rider is an eternity. Most of them get bucked off prior to the eight seconds. And so staying on to eight seconds is a long time. Well, when you ask a question, it can also seem like an eternity. But now that you're aware, you're going to uh, next time realize, oops, I interrupted it two or three seconds with another question or thought. Don't want to do that. And you'll develop this awareness where you'll begin to count. And Evan, it's, it's just amazing. It really works. So uh, you increase sales or leadership by asking a great question and then giving them time to think and respond. So how do I then become a better question asking expert machine? Evan, I am so glad you asked. Um, Often when I'm speaking, uh, you know, I get the feeling from the audience that they really like the idea of leading with questions. It's like, wow, that would be really good if I could get better at leading with questions. But I can see kind of in their eyes that they imagine that the effort that will be required is kind of like, you know, they're going to need to get a master's degree in questionology. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like hey, it's a nice thought. But becoming a brain surgeon's a nice thought. You know, wouldn't we like to make all that money? But it's probably not going to happen. And so uh, I ask my audience, who here would like to learn to lead with questions in 30 seconds? Well, every hand goes up. And I invite one of them to come up on the stage. Well, Evan, you're the only person in my audience right now. So I invite you to come up on the stage. Let's Are you willing? It. And, and I always say, and I think this is true of you too, Evan, I, I always say with the person that I bring up that I, I chose you because I just sense that you have a photographic memory. 
<laughs> in that you'll only have to hear my four favorite questions one time and you'll have them memorized. So Evan, are you ready to go? Let's do it. And, uh, and when I'm done, I'm going to ask if you can repeat them back. Okay. Question one is, what do you think? Question two is, what else? Question three is, what else? Question four is, what else? All right. So you have them memorized. The this last three were what else? And the first one was, I don't want to disappoint you, but what do you think? Oh, you are fantastic. You're fantastic. Now, when, when you know, the audience hears that, they think, well, you can't ask, what do you think? What else? What else? What else? But Sean, I'm sorry, uh, Evan, this is in a conversation. And so Bob asks Evan, Evan, you know, what do you think we might do about X? It could be a challenge. Or Evan, what do you think we might do to take advantage of this opportunity? And Evan begins to answer. And, uh, and, and obviously, the voice inflection on what else is, is going to be very important. There's also some other forms of what else. You say, wow, Evan, this is really good. What, please keep talking. You know, what else? And something I know, again, at kind of a subconscious level, all of us, when we're asked a question, we start with rolling out kind of a safe answer. And we're kind of watching the face of the one who asked to see uh, how are they responding. And, you know, should I ask Evan a question and you give a first answer and I say, oh, Evan, that's stupid. Everyone knows that. <laughs> well, you're not going to say another word. But when I say, wow, this is good, uh, please say more about that. By the time I ask the third and fourth time, what else? I'm actually getting to your gold nugget. Because at that point, you're beginning to think, wow, Bob thinks I'm brilliant. And, uh, and now you're really comfortable and you share your best thought. And so if you're a leader, you know, go back to the premise, Evan. I said, who here would like to learn to lead with questions in 30 seconds? And every hand goes up. If they've been a leader who leads by telling, like I did for many, many years, and they just grab those four questions and they think about, okay, in my next staff meeting, instead of me telling them what to do, I'm going to say, hey, on this topic, what do you all think we might do? And then, wow, what else? What else? You can use that in a meeting with a group or one-on-one -on -one with a staff member. And if you'll start using those four questions, you actually will be on your way to leading with questions. Well, I think that answers my next question, which is what were some of the best questions to ask is, what are you thinking? What else? What else? What else? So You're, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, Evan, there's a quote that I love. And it's from Henry David Thoreau. And he once said, the greatest compliment ever paid me was when one asked me what I thought and attended to my answer. Mm. Um, Evan, there's a few other simple set of questions that I like that you'll have them memorized as, as fast as you hear them once. And Evan, uh, 
I don't know if I've shared with you, I often share with my audiences that, and this is true, I'm a farm boy from South Dakota. And uh, I'm not wanting to suggest that farm boys are simple-minded, but I love low-hanging fruit. Right. I love where, where it's like, wow, I can do that. I can ask that. And um, there's four questions that I got from a consultant who said he makes a handsome six-figure income by simply asking four questions. Well, if that those four questions equal a six-figure income, I want to know what those are. Oh, yes, that was immediately what I said. And when he shared them, I said, can I write them down? He said, of course. And uh, in this case, the consultant was a he. Um, but he said, my first question is always, what's going well? What's going well? His second question is, what's not? His third question is, where are you stuck? His fourth question is, what needs to change? But then he said, Bob, let's go back to question one. He said, if I was consulting with you for a whole day, I would spend the whole morning on question one. Repeat question one again for us. Yeah, say that again. Repeat question one. Yeah, what's going well? And he said, the reason I spend the whole morning, I said, you know, I have some follow-up, like, you know, what else? Tell me more. How'd you figure that out? Wow. You know, what's, what did it take to, to, you know, reach that goal, to, uh, to make this happen? And he said, we spend the whole morning on what's going well. He said, that creates then in the afternoon when I asked the second question, a safe environment for uh, in which they can be honest. He said, if I started right at eight o'clock in the morning and said, hey, Evan, what's not going well around here? He said, for you to answer honestly would be a bit like you having, well, you would feel, yeah, I'm a loser. Yep, total loser. And, uh, and he said, the truth is most people are not going to feel comfortable actually telling you first thing off what's not going well. Um, but he said, when I start with the whole morning of what's going well, he said, by noon, they're thinking that I'm thinking that they are one of the most brilliant leaders I've ever met with. And so when I asked the second question, what's not? they actually will tell me what's not because it no longer feels like they're having to confess I'm a loser. They've already established they are a Hall of Famer leader. And uh, in that context, yes, there are a few things not going well. Well, a number of years ago, Evan, I was on um, Tom Ziegler's podcast. Tom is the son of Zig Ziegler who passed a number of years ago. Yeah. And I was sharing this this very series of questions. And Tom interrupted me and said, Bob, he said, I'm a bit of a brain science nerd. Can I tell you why that first question is so important? And I said, Tom, <laughs> it's your podcast. You can say anything you want. He said, well, Bob, when the brain is processing positive thoughts, positive endorphins are firing. And he said, that's the perfect context in which to actually solve problems. 
He said, if you start with what's not going well, that's where you start. And people are feeling like, yeah, we're losers. He said, that is not the ideal place in which to solve problems. And uh, I thought, wow, I, I hadn't realized that, but it made perfect sense. And, and I also say to leaders, you know, so many times we think, man, I only have a little time here. We don't have time to talk about what's going well. We need to solve this problem. Slower sometimes is faster. And so starting with what's going well and celebrating all the good things the team is doing actually puts out a place in which they can solve the problem faster because they're, they're solving it in the context of we're winning the game, but we've got, you know, we've got to work on this one thing to win even bigger. Right. So what, what was question three? Okay, good. Question one, again, what's going well? Question two, what's not? Question three is, where are you stuck? And question four is, what needs to change? Evan, can I make another observation of those four questions? Absolutely. This consultant shared that he is actually not a subject matter expert. He shared that he actually could consult, you know, one day with the head of a uh, software company, the next day with the head of a medical company, the next day with the head of an airlines, and he would ask the same questions. They actually solved their own problem because when he hears what's not going well, he doesn't say, okay, here's what you need to do. He says, where are you stuck? When they share where they're stuck, he doesn't say, okay, let me tell you now what you need to do. He goes to the fourth question. What needs to change? They solve their own problem. And at the same time, they're writing him a big check and they're thinking, this consultant is brilliant. He so helped us. Well, what he helped them do, and it's the whole concept of leading with questions, is he helped them actually figure out the solution, their own problem, their own challenge, uh, the way forward on their own opportunity. And guess what is the likelihood, Evan, of staff, people, anyone actually implementing the solution when it's their own solution versus when you tell them what to do? 80%? Yeah. Yeah. Is it right? Well, I don't know the exact percentage, but but yes, I think it's like an 80% probability because it's my idea and I just got encouraged to go with my idea. You know, so often when we hear somebody else give us an idea or let's say our boss says, Evan, here's what I want you to do. And you're thinking, well, that's not really a great idea, but he's the boss. Okay. Is you execute in a half-hearted way. Right. And when it doesn't work, you say, well, I, I didn't think that'd work anyhow. Right. But when the boss asks you, what do you think we ought to do? And you share and he said, wow, tell me more. Wow. Evan, that's incredible. Let's go with that. So well, now, sorry, go ahead. yeah, it's like, hey, it's my idea. Uh, I'm going to go, you know, the extra, uh, not only one mile, but 10 miles to make it actually work. Right. You have a lot more buy-in. Yeah. You know, one of the, 
I want to pause real quick because there's a lot of things I'm, I'm noticing in this podcast that just for our listeners, um, if you haven't picked up on this, I really want you to pick up on this. Several key takeaways. One, more so at the, the beginning of the podcast, Bob, when you were talking about, you know, the Starbucks, you know, the, the grande, venti, and, and the, the tall, you know, one of the things I did in my business is I did exactly that, but I didn't realize that was a side effect. I just said, hey, I noticed people are always trying to cut me down on what I make. So I'm actually going to give them three options of what they can choose. My standard is what I normally get paid, and then everything goes up from there. So now instead of cutting me down, they'll either choose the six, which is a standard, or go in the middle, which is actually a little bit more than what I make. Hmm. And that has helped significantly in making me more money just by presenting more options with a little bit more pricing. That being said, what we just talked about, the six-figure income questions, I'm going to add that to my presentations. And if you're in sales, I highly suggest you take some of these principles and add them together because, holy cow, I'm sitting here thinking about every appointment I've ever went on. And one of the first things I, I start with is, so what hasn't worked? What, need, what, what can I do differently? You know, And I'm thinking okay, what's going well is it puts them in a much better headspace on the front. And then I can go in with, well, what's not going well? And by the end of it, they're answering their own questions on what they want changed. And then I can say, yes, I can do that for you versus say, this is what I can do. This is what I will do, how I will market. Well, what if they don't want how I market? By telling them this is what I'm going to do, either they want it or they don't, therefore they'll say yes or no. But by asking these questions, Bob, you just taught me that they tell me what they want and then I can say, yes, I can do that for you. Absolutely. You you get it. And, and here's the thing that I so love is it is actually a simple paradigm shift. So many times we lead by telling because we've never actually become aware that that's how we're leading. And as soon as we actually see an alternative here, it's like, it makes instant sense. Just like when I read Leading with Questions in 2006, it was like instant. And, you know, my big question as I read it is, why have I never seen this before? Right. And uh, kind of thing. So, Bob, I, I have another question for you. This is kind of off topic, but this is going along with something I've noticed. Did you ever take a Dale Carnegie class or course? I did not. Okay, However, but you, you read the book, How to Win I Friends and Influence book, People. Yes. Okay. The reason why I'm asking that for our audience sake is, I don't know if you guys notice this, but he's using my name um, every time he wants to talk to me or or consistently which makes me feel really good on the inside. And then I was like, why, how come he says my name so often? It makes me feel good. And then I realized, Oh, Hey, this is win friends and influence people. You should think about doing that. Bob, you reminded me of a great lesson. So thank you. Cause that well, time you say my name when we're talking, it makes me get warm butterflies inside. 
Evan, you're most kind. <laughs> and, and yes, I, I love Dale Carnegie and, and a quote that's on my wall from Dale Carnegie that relates to all of this is Dale said in his book, an effective leader will ask questions instead of giving direct orders. Mm. So, you know, I didn't discuss, in fact, uh, Dr. Michael McCourt was not the first to discover the value of leading with questions. Uh, Dale Carnegie had it. In fact, uh, many people throughout history have had this understanding of the value of leading with questions. Right. Well, speaking about people through history, who who do you think, from from your perception and studies of this area, who are some of the greatest leaders that that you remember did so by asking amazing questions? Well, the list would actually be long. So I'm going to share three. Perfect. And, 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 uh, and I'm not wanting to suggest that, well, the first one I do want to suggest is the top one. But then a couple stories uh, that you'll enjoy. Uh, for me, the, the greatest communicator in the world ever was Jesus Christ. I, I agree and, with that. And uh, one of the things I realize, you know, I'm a follower of Christ, but even if, if a person is not a follower of Christ, I think we do well to study what were the communication principles of this incredible communicator. And if you study Jesus as a communicator, you'll realize that he focused on two things. He told great stories and he asked great questions. And, uh, and I was actually stunned when I began to realize how many questions Jesus asked. My second book, I actually didn't write my second book. I compiled it. <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, four, the authors of the four Gospels, wrote it. And I went through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New International Version and just pulled out the questions. Well, they add up to, in the New International Version, 339 questions that Jesus asked. And so, you know, the question would be, well, why did Jesus ask so many questions? Evan, do you have an idea why you think he asked, why he focused on asking questions? Oh, putting me on the spot here. I think at the end of the day, it helped people reflect and become self-aware. And that was a skill that needed to develop in the disciples and people around him. And then, I'm, yeah, I'm going to stick with that one. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm going with that. Final answer. Final answer. That's a great answer. And uh, It's partially true. No, <laughs> so, no, so what's yeah, the reason? The, the, let's put it this way. If we were listing the things we could learn, that would be on the list. <laughs> and, You're uh, so kind. <laughs> well, no, it, it absolutely would be. <laughs> Um, I, I was one time reflecting on the fact, and again, I'm a follower of Christ, but the scripture says that Jesus has always existed. In other words, he didn't just, we know he came into existence as a man right. when he was born. We celebrate Christmas. And the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word was with yes. God. And uh, there's and other references where he was involved in creation. So he actually was involved in creating us, men, right. women human beings. And, and, 
you know, I'm guessing that the, the person who writes a computer program is the one who best understands how to make full use of that program. And so here's Jesus. He has an advantage over the rest of us. He actually knows how the mind, body, soul, spirit all works together. And I believe that when he asks questions, he's actually leveraging his design. He knows that to actually create change in people, by asking questions, they discover the change themselves. Hmm. He knew that engaging people is how he could create relationship. I mean, the woman in the well, he starts with such a simple question. Can you give me some water to drink? Right. Um, and it started the conversation. Um, and so uh, at any rate, 339 questions that he asked in the four Gospels uh, just speaks of itself. He asked much more than he told. And, and when he told, he told great stories. Well, let me share another example of a great leader who asked questions. And this one is about President Eisenhower. And it's a story I heard uh, secondhand. And then I actually got permission on my blog from J.W. Marriott himself to, uh, uh, to repost something that had been posted on, on uh, Marriott's internal blog. But it's this story. When Bill Marriott was like 23 years old, he was uh, in the Navy, a young ensign in the Navy, and he came home one weekend. And at that point, uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower was president of the United States, and his father had invited the president to uh, come to their farm for a pheasant hunt. Well, that particular morning, turned out to be cold and raining. And so they're sitting at the breakfast table, kind of thinking, what should we do today? President Eisenhower stands up, walks over to the fireplace where young Ensign Bill Marriott was standing and said, Bill, what do you think we should do? And later Bill Marriott wrote that the uh, Four most important words in the English language are, what do you think? What do you think? He reflected later and said, the brilliance of Eisenhower as a leader. And of course, we recently celebrated the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Mm -hmm. and, and Eisenhower had to manage working with uh, the French leader with Churchill, with with generals that were, uh, you know, British generals. It wasn't just in his direct command. And uh, what Bill Marriott saw is that the brilliance of Eisenhower was that he wanted to know what people thought. And so his frequent question was, hey, what do you think? And he would get all of that input and then make a decision. Now, he didn't promise that he would do everything that everybody thought, but he always wanted to know, what do you think? And uh, just a brilliant insight. So Eisenhower is an example of a leader who led with questions. And guess what? He used my favorite question. What, what do, do you think? think? You know, and I, I'm hoping that, you know, our listeners are understanding again, you don't need to get a master's in questionology to lead with questions. Uh, and then a third leader 
And again, you will you will love the simplicity of his questions. But Navy Captain Michael D. Ebershoff, when he took over the command of the USS Benfold, one of our modern warships, morale, however the Navy measures morale, morale on that ship was the lowest in the Navy. And 18 months later, he had turned it around. When they remeasured the morale, it turned 18 months later to be the highest morale in the Navy. Well, the first thing he did upon taking command is he had 300 interviews one-on-one with 300 sailors on that ship. And he asked three simple questions. And, And these interviews would last like 15 minutes. So it took a while for him to get through. I mean, you know, probably a month or two. But by the end of the first day, there was a buzz on the ship. The new captain's different. He actually cares what we think. Well, here were the three questions he asked. And again, Evan, these are really low-hanging fruit. His first question to the sailors, what do you like best about this ship? Second question was, what do you like least? Third question is, what would you change if you could? So again, what do you like best? What do you like least? What would you change if you could? Evan, I bet you have those memorized now. Especially since I'm writing them down. (laughs) Very good. Well, he asked and then he listened. Now, he didn't promise to make every change that he heard, but it didn't take long And he's hearing themes and he's thinking to myself, what? That's not being done here? Or what? They're doing that? We can change that. And it didn't take long. And they realized not only was he asking for their input and then listening, but they were seeing changes being made based on their collective input. And that immediately went, I mean, think of any employee anywhere. These were sailors, but anywhere. The boss asked for your input. He's asking for other people's input. And then you begin to see changes take place. It's like, wow, you understand why morale went up. Right. So I got an off, I'm not going to say off topic question, but um, one of the things I've realized in life is when it comes time to make a decision, do I do A or do I do B? And what I've realized is some people have a hard time making decisions. I feel like myself, I might be one of those people. What are some great questions a person can ask themselves to help make a decision? Well, Evan, we've kind of talked about uh, the first thing already. Um, You talked about you are now offering clients three options. Mm-hmm. And so in making decisions, many times I will press, uh, if I'm in a coaching mode, I will press somebody for uh, five options. And in coaching mode, uh, one of the reasons I press for five options is often the first two options, and these are all options they come up with. I don't tell them the options. But often the first two options somebody comes up with are things they've actually already tried that didn't work. If they'd worked, we wouldn't be talking about this challenge. And so when you say, hey, those are two options, Evan, uh, 
let's keep working here. What would be another option? In fact, I want to push you for five options. And we get five options on the table. And then I say, okay, Evan, of the five, which one would you like to pursue? And often out of five, they'll actually choose one. Interesting. And then we we begin to talk about execution, meaning, okay, well, let's talk about how we would make that happen. What would be the first couple steps to moving down that path? And uh, and so we begin to move the question from decision, assuming the decision's made, to execution. Uh, another thought, Evan, is um, is really the pro con list. Um, wow, I can't decide between these two. Okay, fair enough. Uh, let's make a pro con list. Let's take this option. What what would be all the good things if we did this? And and what are the negative things? What are the things that concern you? And we list those out. And then we go to the next one. Um, Evan, th- there's another insight, and I feel like I'm leading by telling here. <laughs> I apologize. Um, there's another insight, and that is uh, I'm a huge fan of Strength Finder. Some of the strengths within Strength Finder are what I call thinking strengths. And uh, people that uh, they turn, they tend to be in Strength Finder's green strengths. That's just a color for that segment. And I find that when I interact with somebody who has a lot of green strengths, I uh, tend to be an activator. Have a plan, let's go do it. Mm-hmm. People with green strengths need time to process. And I've learned with my colleagues that have lots of green strengths, I will share with them, you know, Evan, we need to make a decision on this by next Wednesday. In other words, I give them a deadline that's, not right now. Don't walk into their office and say, Evan, we got to decide this now. Because they're really smart, they generally know you don't have to really decide this now. Right. Um, but if I give them time and a deadline, they will actually come back not only with the decision, but having thought through it at a way deeper level than I normally do. And I'll benefit from that. Okay. I rambled. What, what's your takeaway from what I just shared, Evan? Well, a couple things. One, you're the second person today that has told me about doing a pros and cons list because, you know, I, uh, I have a couple of decisions that I, I'm looking at making and I just don't know how to make them. Um, probably because I fall in this category of Christian upbringing where you know, I, I don't want to step outside the the quotation marks, the will of God, like there is a perfect will. And therefore, <clears throat> there is a perfect decision to make. And so the daunting idea of there's a perfect decision makes me more gun shy, I guess. And so it makes it harder for me to, to just pick one. Um, so the pros and cons list, I think is is a huge aspect, especially breaking down very detailed pros and cons. The other thing is 
I like the idea of, the, of what you said, strength finders. <clears throat> I believe I took the strength, strength finders test, but also see how whatever decision you make um, goes along with your your personal giftings. And then in addition to that, the other aspect of decision-making that I'm currently learning, um, man, I just had it now I went blank. Oh, is that does this align with what my my personal mission statement is or the the direction I want to go? So those those are yeah yeah ways I'm learning how to make decisions. I'm reminded of of another um, type of question. Um, I think the person who shared this with me talked about, she kind of referred to them as angle questions. But uh, she said, you know, sometimes you actually could literally have a board of, of advisors sitting at your conference table. And so you throw it out to them to get their input. But she said there's times where if you'll sit and think, what would my dad advise me on this? And you just kind of in your head, you can kind of think, okay, yeah, dad would probably say this about that. And then, uh, gosh, I, I've got a, you know somebody who's been a mentor for me for years. What would he or she say about this? And uh, you kind of, you know, process from the angles and um, the angles of what would they say? What would this person say? What are they likely to advise? And it allows you kind of to take that and, and look at that object, get up out of your chair and look at that object, that decision from a number of different angles rather than just what do I think? Right. And uh, so it's kind of the board of directors in your head. Absolutely. What are some of the best leadership principles that you've learned through your life that has helped you become successful? Again, I love that question. And and Evan, that may be a question you ask all your guests, but if it isn't, you ought to add it. And um and it's actually a question that I think every leader actually enjoys answering. So I love the question. And um, my first answer, I've, I've got kind of four things I'd like to share. The first one won't surprise you. Leading with questions. <laughs> um, and we've already rehearsed how a leader leads with questions will so dramatically increase their effectiveness because now they're accessing the brain power of everyone on the team. The second one, it, you know, we've just mentioned, I'm, I'm a huge fan of strength finders. And when I first uh, did read the book and did the assessment, but the book, Now Discover Your Strengths, it was again, a paradigm shift. I, for many years, followed what I generally considered conventional wisdom. And that is one way to grow was, Evan, what are your weaknesses? What will it take for you to overcome them? In other words, the focus of the growth was identify and focus on overcoming your weaknesses. And then I read, now discover your strengths, and I saw a completely different paradigm. And they said that the world's most successful people don't 
focus on overcoming their weaknesses. They focus on actually increasing their strengths, leveraging their strengths, developing their strengths. And, um, and it was like, wow. And, and it made, you know, instant sense to me. You've probably heard, uh, I don't know, this is a quote, maybe it's a principle, that, that often 20% of our efforts create 80% of our results. Yeah. And then, you know, in other areas, we're, we're having to crank out an 80% effort and it only gets 20% results. Right. It's the Pareto, the Pareto okay. principle. Yes. And in that principle, one of my questions is, well, what is the 20% that's producing 80% of the results? I'm guessing it's when you're using your strengths. And so the question is, well, what would it take to increase that so that you're spending 80% of your time focusing on utilizing that 20%, you know, the strengths and the 20%. So at any rate, the principle that your greatest opportunity for growth is not to focus on overcoming weaknesses, but focusing on developing your strengths. Mm -hmm. The third principle would be in the area of execution. And uh, I'm, I'm actually a huge fan of Covey's organization, the four disciplines of execution. Somebody wants to find out more, Google the four disciplines of execution. But one of the things they did in their research was that people that have one to three goals have a high success rate of accomplishing one to three goals organizations, individuals that begin to have like four to six goals, you only accomplish maybe one, and organizations that begin to have like 10 or more goals end up accomplishing none. And so for me, the leadership principle is to never focus on more than one to three goals. In fact, I often focus on one goal for the next 90 days because I know then I can actually get traction on getting that done. Now, organizations that come up with 12 goals, Evan, they're probably all really great things. It's just no one has the capacity to execute on 12 things at the same time. It's like, yeah, it'd be great if it could be done, but they end up getting nothing done. And so focus on that, that one to three at a time. And then the fourth principle is just an observation. The difference between good and great is almost always just one more thing. In other words, you've made an effort. You've, you've done 98% of it already, and you've gotten it to good. Often, it's just pushing those final 10 yards that will move it to great. And uh, I am, you know, internally motivated to make it great. Right. And, uh, but the observation is that often it's just one more thing. It's just pushing the final 10 yards. It's not having to double your effort. You're already almost there. What would make it great? Mm -hmm. hmm. That is something to think about. Because oftentimes you feel like you have to double your efforts versus what is the area that you can focus on that will net you the most results. 
You know, in sales, you've probably heard this. Um, the difference between a good salesman and a great salesman is they make one more call every day. Yeah. It's just that one more thing. You know, I can't tell you how much money I've made. I should, I wish I could quantify it. Um, but significantly, like, there's been a couple of those times where I was just like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore, but I'm going to make one more call. And then when that one's done, I don't want to do this anymore, but you know what? I'm going to make one more call and taking that mindset on each and every single call has led to some good wealth. So. Amen. Good for you, but it's good for the people you're serving. Right. Absolutely. So I got three ending questions that I ask everyone and Actually, you know what? Before before I ask those, you actually asked me three questions, and I, I'm going to go get them real quick. I actually have them. Okay. Hold on one second. Oy, bavoy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little slow. I had knee surgery about a month, month and a mm. half ago, and so sorry. It, <laughs> I had to stand up and go get these for a second. No okay. problem. So first of all, I just want to say that you have three books out. Great Leaders Ask Questions, a Fortune 100 list, another book, 339 Questions Jesus Asked, which we were talking about earlier, and this other one. Now, that's a great question. And for starters, thank you so much for sending me these books and autographing them. I, I just absolutely love personalized autograph books. They're, they're one of my favorite things to collect in the world, probably because I want to, to be a writer myself. So when I get stuff like this, it's very inspirational. And in each one of your books, you wrote me a question. So I figured I would answer them. All right. Great. And I actually want you to, I actually want you to answer this one as well because I, I, okay. I have it in here and I don't know if I've, I asked that one already, but this, is, this one's for me and you, okay? Okay. What's the greatest question you've ever been asked? And I think it, it's not so much a there's, – there's two questions I feel like that were – kind of life-changing one was more of a um someone telling me something versus a question but when he said it, it made me question so i'll i'll use that as a question and i think i've already shared this in the past episode but one time someone told me that i had a victim mentality and i go no <laughs> and then i had to question his statement and so technically that's not a question but because of that it led me to realize, no, I have had a victim mentality. And then it's led to a lot of personal growth and, and change. I think one of the greatest questions I've ever been asked, I think it was um, this year. And it was by the gentleman who has the um, Impact Entrepreneur podcast, Mike Flynn. And he asked me, Evan, do you like your name? Hmm. And apparently he asks a lot of people that same question, but I realized, huh, 
Because I remember a period in time of my life that I didn't like my name. I didn't like who I was. I associated my name with, you know, a dislike. But over time, I began to enjoy my my name. So what's the greatest question that you've ever been asked? Well, there's actually three. And, um, and they relate to three M's. Okay. Master, mate, and mission. Hmm. As a freshman at the University of South Dakota, a group of fraternity men from Iowa State came and spoke in our fraternity house one Monday night. And they were all uh, involved with a student movement called Campus Crusade for Christ. And the first three shared how they'd committed their lives to Christ at Iowa State. And the fourth one uh, shared something called the Four Spiritual Laws. But as he ended, he said, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you'd like to invite Christ into your heart, I'd encourage you to pray along silently. Hmm. And so that night, I had no understanding that that night would actually change my life, change the rest of my life, and and change my eternal destiny. But that night, I answered the question, and I prayed the prayer and made Jesus Christ the master of my life. A couple of years later, I met my future bride. And so I'm thinking that the, uh, the night we stood at the altar and the pastor said, will you take this woman to be your wife? And I said, I do. That question. And of course, I had chosen her before that, but just the, that uh, making this Sherry, my wife, and uh, I know this will reveal my age, but this coming December 21st, we'll be celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary. So uh, you're 60? No, I'm just kidding. Well, <laughs> I know what I am, but uh, the strange thing is my wife's only 39. <laughs> and holding. <laughs> uh, I turned 70 on my last birthday. and uh, but, but Sherry, like I say, is 39, even though we'll be celebrating our 50th. And then uh, Mission, the invitation from Dr. Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. And I was simply in the audience, but inviting all of us, will you come help change the world? Will you join with us and come on staff? And in 1971, we made that decision. So I look back, and and those are some of the best questions, obviously, that were life-changing, life-altering, but relate to master, made and mission. I, I think for every person, those are three incredible decisions. And uh, three questions. So one of the other questions that that you sent me is, why did Jesus ask so many questions? We actually already answered that. So I'm going to skip yep. over that one. Yep. The last one is, what are the questions I like to ask? Um, and so these three questions that I'm about to ask you are consistently my favorite three questions to ask. So here they go. What is the biggest lie in self-talk that you had or currently struggle with? Well, again, this won't surprise you, but when I was a benevolent dictator, the, the, the lie was that a leader needs to have all the answers. And if you believe that lie, it's an incredible pressure if you're a leader. It's like, I have to have all the answers. And in fact, what you're tempted to do when you're asked something and you don't know the answer 
is to make it up on the spot. <laughs> and, uh, and, and guess what? Probably the staff know. I don't think he knew the answer. I think he just made that up. <laughs> right. But uh, at any rate, that was the biggest lie. Okay. Second question. What brings you peace? Well, again, this won't surprise you. As a, as a follower of Jesus, knowing that through no merit of my own, because of Jesus' shed blood on the cross of Calvary, my sins are forgiven, and I'll spend eternity with him in heaven. I, if I know that, and, and that sets, you know, those are the rails, those are the tracks, no matter what, I, what happens on a day-to-day basis, that doesn't change. Right. And, and that gives me peace. It, it's like often, uh, and, you know, it's another form of that question, but, but I'll, I'll say uh, on, you know, a particular challenge that we're facing right now that just seems to have captured us, it's kind of like, okay, what difference will this make 10 years from now? And, uh, or 100, or a year from now? And a lot of times you realize, okay, it, it won't even make a, an impact a, a year from now. And, and therefore, in other words, this sense of, boy, we've got to figure this out. And this is just like, oh, so incredibly important. Often it's not. And so getting perspective, that's really what I'm saying is we get peace sometimes by perspective. And when I have the perspective that at the end of life, I'm going to heaven, no matter what happens between now and then, it gives me perspective. Right. So that's what brings me peace. I, I think that is, that and deep breathing for me, me peace. because, you know, just to be vulnerable, um, I've realized I struggle with anxiety and anxiousness it didn't always, it wasn't always that way, but there's some pretty gnarly stuff that happened in my life over the last 12 plus years that really uh, has, has robbed me of, Hmm. of a lot of um, happiness, Hmm. um, a lot of hope. And even that being done, um, I still look with a different outlook that has helped me tremendously. But at the end of the day, sorry, I'm getting emotional. Um, what, what robbed me was I've, I've lost a lot of friends in my life. I've lost a daughter and and I'm not talking about like two, three, four people. I'm talking about 12, 13 people um, that were close in my life and a child. And so when I look at my life right now and the decisions I have to make, the, the frustrations, the finances, and any struggle, when, yeah. I, when I change my mindset from here to a perspective of eternity that – that this life is literally a blink of an eye compared to eternity and that Jesus is on the other side, that, that brings me peace. 
even though I don't like the idea of the death part. Yeah. Yeah. Just realizing that death actually isn't the end all, but it's actually the very beginning to what real life, real eternity, real peace is. And I don't know why, but I'm just going to throw this in here right now. If you're listening and you struggle with not having peace in your life or joy and you need help, one, feel free to reach out to me, but two, also realize that Jesus is there. There's this idea within Christianity that if you accept Jesus Christ, you'll never have problems. That's not true at all. You know, there's a story where Jesus is sleeping in a boat with the disciples and there's a storm and the boat's close to sinking. And then they go wake Jesus up and, and says, you know, help us do something. Don't you care? And he calms the storm. Mm. And what was so fascinating is Jesus was there with them in the storm. And oftentimes people think in life by being a Christian, I should just be able to avoid storms, which isn't true. So I encourage you, if you haven't accepted Jesus, to talk to me or someone who is a believer of Jesus Christ and ask them what salvation is all about. Because single-handedly, it is the greatest experience and joy and peace that has ever come into my life. So I just want to throw that out there. Evan, thank thank you, you know, for sharing that. As you were sharing that, um, you know, a conversation for another day, and probably not this podcast, would be, tell me more. I I didn't know about the loss of your daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, I've not experienced that. So I can't say, oh, yeah, I know what that's like. But let's let's do this because I I want to make a podcast about my story and mm -hmm. I've hinted around at it. um, But I'll tell you what, you can come back on another podcast specifically for me to share my story. That way, it's not just me talking to the microphone. That way, I feel like I'm actually having a conversation with someone. Yeah, I'd I'd be honored. I'd be honored. I want to maybe give a little context here. Yeah. Um, it relates and, and, uh, I guess those who are listening, who are followers of Christ, this will be helpful. Those who are not, I think you will say, yeah, that's really true. And, um, sometimes I'll say, I'm going to start here. Sometimes I'll, I'll say to somebody who says, uh, that, you know, they're an agnostic or an atheist. And I say, you know, Hey, that that's fine. I can respect you. Uh, and I'll, in a kidding way, say, do you believe in biblical prophecy? And of course, the agnostic or atheist will usually laugh and say, well, of course not. <laughs> and I'll say, well, um, can I share one prophecy that, that, that Jesus made about you? And, and then you tell me if it's been fulfilled in your life or not. Fair enough. And they say, okay. And I said, well, Jesus once said, in this life, you will have troubles. I said, has that been fulfilled in your life? And, and usually, again, I, uh, they're not confessing that they're now going to be uh, instantly a, a God follower. 
But generally, again, in the lighthearted manner, they'll say, oh, yeah, I've had plenty of troubles. And I'll say, I have too. And uh, here's just, again, this is, is one of those paradigm switches. So often as a believer, we think if we'll only tell people about all the good things that have happened to us, that they then will want to also follow Jesus. And kind of the truth is, though, it's counterintuitive. If we only tell that side of the story, others think, well, sure, if, if, if God had blessed me the way apparently he's blessed Evan and Bob, well, sure, I'd be a believer. But they actually would have no idea, because obviously they've never experienced any troubles. They'd have no idea what I've experienced. Right. And they, they, they actually take a step back. But when we who are followers of Christ will actually tell our whole story, because for all of us, we've also experienced what Jesus said would happen, and that is in this life, you will have troubles. Now, Evan, I haven't had your specific trouble, and, uh, but I've had other troubles. And uh, as we actually share our whole story, others, rather than taking a step back, actually lean in and say, huh, wow, Evan might actually understand my troubles because apparently he's had some. Bob might actually understand my troubles because apparently he's had some. And when we share then about the God of all hope, who actually helped us in our troubles, others again clean in and it's kind of like, wow, I never thought that maybe God could actually help me in my troubles. Right. And, uh, and a bit counterintuitive. But uh, yes, I'd be honored to be on that podcast with you. And, uh, and I just want to encourage you, when we share the whole story, not just the side of all the good things that have happened, others are actually more likely to identify, lean in, and want to listen and hear about the God of all hope. Right. You know, you're talking about um, the passage of Scripture. I've told you these things that, you know, that there will be trouble in the world. That's actually from John 16, It's um, it, it reads like this. It goes, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And that has been one of the transformational um, scriptures in my life. Well, Bob, you and I both have appointments here in about nine minutes outside of this conversation. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on to this show and appreciate your time that you spent with us today. Thank you for coming well, on. I'm, I'm absolutely honored. Um, can I share with the audience that I have a gift for everyone? Absolutely. In fact, I have three gifts. <laughs> and that is all my books are actually free ebooks available for free download on my blog. And if listeners would like one, two, or all three, just simply go to leadingwithquestions.com. Just run those words together, leadingwithquestions.com. Up at the top, you'll see a... a, a a box you can click on called resources. And there, when you click on resources, 
you'll be asked to enter your email and that will give you in, instant access to great leaders ask questions, 339 questions Jesus asked, and the most recent book, Now That's a Great Question. And uh, so I hope you go there. I would love for those books to uh, become your gifts and to help you as a leader become more effective. And I also get excited that your staff will be better led as a result of this. And then uh, another idea is because these are free, you actually can gift the uh, opportunity to download these free resources to others. You could gift them to all your colleagues. You could gift them to your clients, your prospects. And, and Evan, here's an interesting thing. Evan, have you ever given a book to someone? Yes. When they read it and appreciated it, did they write you the thank you or the author the thank you? They wrote me the thank you. Yes. And so the opportunity for, for you and your listeners to gift this to others is an opportunity for you to uh, deepen the relationships as people that you gifted to express appreciation to you for this resource. And, and that will make my day to know that it's been a double win. They got a great resource, but you deepened your relationships. Absolutely. Well, guys, go to that website. Definitely download the books. I'm, I'm really excited to read them. I think the one I'm most excited right now to read is probably 339 Questions Jesus Asked. Just because you said that he was one of the greatest question askers and I don't have to do any of the work to find the questions. <laughs> so, Bob, thank you for your time. Um, look forward to having you on shortly again. Evan, it's been a great pleasure. You and, and all your listeners, have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you would, I'd greatly appreciate you subscribing as well as rating and even leaving us an objective review. It helps us with our ratings and spreading the message of the Whole Person Podcast. And now, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Take care and God bless. I created a free resource that I want to offer all of our listeners. You know, we have this ideal person of what we want ourselves to look like. And there's this gap between where we currently are and that dream identity that we've created. Well, in this resource, it shares ideas and components about how to not only bridge some of those gaps, but also how to be content and okay with who we are as we love ourselves in the process of change. If that interests you and you want that resource, check out thewholepersonpodcast.com. Again, that's thewholepersonpodcast.com for that free resource. And while you're there, just so you know, our friends at Anchor Marketing actually created our website that helps us market ourselves better and brand ourselves. It also works with search engine optimization and other areas for digital marketing. So definitely check them out. We paid them to build our website and to help us do marketing, and we just really appreciate them. I figured as a business owner or entrepreneur, if that's something that you're looking for, you should definitely go check them out. I think their website is anchormarketingco.com. That's anchormarketingco.com.